you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 6, we're going to read verses 11 to 32. It's Judges chapter 6. So we are continuing through this great book. I know this is not the traditional Palm Sunday text. There are no donkeys in it. <laughs> uh, there, are, there are lots of donkeys later in the book of Judges, if you're interested. <laughs> uh, Jair the Gileadite had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys in 30 cities. So, or Abdon had 40 sons and 30 grandsons on 70 donkeys. So it's hard to get a whole sermon out of that. So we're going to look at Gideon. <laughs> so it's Judges chapter 6. And we will see how this gets us to Jesus. So let's read God's word. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are his, all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not, I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If I have now found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot, and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out to the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull on the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar by Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. 
When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and given in love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, show us the sign of grace yet again that, that leads us to believe, uh, to trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. So we ask now that your presence and your transforming grace would overwhelm our fears as we seek to know you and make you known among our neighbors. So everything that happens today, Lord, I pray that Jesus would be seen and the Holy Spirit would come and give us the peace that surpasses understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we all understand a little bit of where Gideon is, is at, of saying, I've heard these stories of how God has worked in the past, and life stinks, things are different now. Why can't we go back to the good old days when you know, men were men and God showed up and did things and people believed and responded? And I, I like thinking about us as a church, and I think we have some similar similarities as you know, just looking at all the positive things that God has done in the past through this particular church and this particular community of, you know, this building was not once this big physically. Um, at one point, there were more worship services, and there were, there were larger crowds, and there were more families, and, and men and women were getting to know Jesus for the first time. Um, or even just the legacy that Hope Church has in raising up mini- God raising up missionaries from among us. And these are things to be praised. You know, Dr. Jody's in Mexico uh, working with kids. She gets around, too. She travels all over the world doing some of these similar things. Uh, she's actually... I saw online through one of the newsletters she was doing ministry with one of my classmates from college in the Philippines, which is really random. So she gets around. <laughs> uh, the Milnes are in London working with the Asian community, and the Emersons are in a majority Muslim country. Right, Naomi grew up here in this church. Redeemer in Queensbury. Uh, it's a church plan from us. And so it, it's, it's good to look back and say, okay, God has worked among us. And here we are now in 2019, a little bit smaller. Um, we're in a culture that doesn't think like us, that doesn't believe in us. Never has there been a more rapid change in culture and worldview as we live in the least Bible-minded area in the country. And we're a small town, a small church in a small town, and the, our neighbors don't see us as a place to run to for help. And so it's really easy to relate to Gideon and to say, I am small, I am weak, I am insignificant. The obstacles against us are huge. And yet Jesus still tells us to go. To believe the gospel, to know our God, and to make him known. 
And so we do have questions. If God is with us, why has all this happened? I don't have those answers, but he does say go. Go in your might, even as you may be afraid. And so what I want to do this morning is we think about our history, but also think about where God leads people like Gideon. It's to, to use Gideon to see these questions answered. How, what kind of material does God use uh, when he's recruiting his servants? And then how does he get the fearful to move forward in faith? And so let's look at this. First, we have God's call to the, to the fearful. And so in chapter, verses 11 to 16 is where I'm looking here. And if you remember the context from last week, Israel is plagued by idolatry again and again. That's the repetition in the book that they are prone to leave the God they love. God is not the, their priority. Uh, they, they love other things more than God. And they have to be graced. They have to be rescued. Um, they are oppressed by the Midianites. Uh, you remember the Midianite horde would invade like a plague of locusts, eat everything in sight, and leave the Israelites poor and hungry. And so Gideon is God's answer to their idolatry, to their sin, and to their suffering. And... What I, I want to do this morning is look at how God calls Gideon. How does God's grace go to work on this, this person here? And you look, the angel of the Lord comes, and he sees Gideon. He's hiding in a wine press. Right? This, a wine press is not to be used for threshing wheat. That should sound as natural as a carpenter using a, a stapler for a hammer. Right? It's not how these things ought to be. So you have Gideon afraid of being seen, of being noticed, of being found out. And that's when the angel of the Lord shows up, comes to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Right? Valor, honor, uh, bravery, courage, that, those kind of things. And the mighty man is a particular word in the Old Testament. It's supposed to be a mighty warrior, a champion, somebody who wields a sword well, somebody who who takes down their enemies, right? David was a mighty warrior. David had his mighty men, these guys who would do these hero heroic feats in battle to, to protect God's people. And so here's the disconnect. Gideon, the mighty warrior, is hiding in a wine press, wrestling with fear and doubts and wondering if God cares about him and, and his people. And this is, I'm just going to pause here and camp out for a while because it's such a wonderful statement for, to describe how God works with people like you and me. He declares what Gideon will be before Gideon does anything right. right? He, it's, a, it's a proclamation of transforming grace to say, here's what you will be, O fearful one, you mighty warrior. I don't think he's mocking him. I think he's telling him the trajectory of his life. It's, a, it's transforming grace. You are declared what you will be long before you ever get there. Frightened Gideon, you will be courageous. You will be mighty. And this is what God is in the business of doing with his transforming grace. Declaring what you will be long before you ever get there. <laughs> All right, so there's a few ways to think about this. Just the gospel. <laughs> we talked about it with the kids a little bit. God calls sinners saints. I love the beginning of 1 Corinthians where you have the most jacked up church, the most dysfunctional church probably in the Bible. They're, they don't get along well. They, there's different groups. They're arguing over who's the best preacher. They're getting drunk on communion wine. They're hogging all the food. It's chaotic on Sunday with everybody trying to be the pastor. 
And then there's all kinds of immorality. I mean, one guy has a romantic tryst with his stepmother. And yet, all this dysfunction, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, holy ones, called to be saints, like everyone else who is calls on the name Jesus. <laughs> that is mind-blowing. That God's rec recruitment process begins by looking at the least promising material and sinners and declares them saints. That's right? how he works today through Jesus, through you. He says, when he finds us at our lowest moments and he declares you to be righteous even though you're still imperfect because that's where he's going to take you. <laughs> A little bit by bit here in this life, but when you see him in the next life, then you will become like him. This is the same pattern here, the second, this idea of transforming grace. This is just how God has always worked. It's all the way throughout the Old Testament. This conversation that the angel of the Lord has with Gideon is supposed to remind you of the conversation that God had with Moses long ago in Exodus. This is how God recruited. Oh, this is how God recruited Moses. So, right, remember Gideon's complaint. God, I remember the stories. You worked through Moses. You smoked the Egyptians. You led us through the Red Sea. You did these powerful things. Let's go back to the good old days when Moses was here and everything was awesome. <laughs> and God's response to Gideon says, "All right, you asked for Moses. You're it. You're the new Moses." Now go in your strength, and you will save Israel like one man. And Gideon's response is one of fear. My clan is the weakest, and I am the least of my father's house. I'm a nobody. And God just says, go anyway, I will be with you. <laughs> it's the same conversation God had with Moses. Moses, go. And Moses says, who am I that I should go? They're not going to listen to me. I can't talk. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. You know, I have problems talking. He most likely had a speech impediment, a stutter. And so God looked at Moses, the one who can't talk, and said, you will use your words to free my people. Transforming grace. And it starts, Moses starts with Aaron's help, but eventually you hear about Moses doing most of the talking for the next 40 years. This is how transforming grace works. He takes some promising material, declares what you will be, by grace and grace alone, and he sends you. Now look at the material God uses in Gideon. They're very similar to us, because there are two things holding Gideon back, fear and shame. It's a paralyzing cocktail. Gideon's terrified. I mean, there's a sense where <clears throat> there has to be shame. I mean, for seven years, they've just been humiliated by their enemies. For seven years, these soldiers would show up. They would run hiding from the hills. I mean, it doesn't take much imagination. They must have at least tried to defend their crops and lost repeatedly over and over again. And the more you fail, the more it affects your, your ability to, to think clearly, the more it affects your emotions, your physical brain chemistry, even your own spiritual understanding. You're going to start to ask these kind of questions. God, are you with me? So Gideon's ashamed, he's afraid of not being good enough. I mean, we, we can relate to these things. I don't have the ability to do this on my own. Right? How about you? What are you afraid of? Afraid of failing, afraid of disappointing God, afraid of failing my parents, my friends, my church. 
afraid of what my neighbors will think. What if they don't like me? He's afraid. And this is what paralyzing fear does. It leaves you trapped in hiding, and it's often connected to past failures and shames. For Moses, he tried to lead a rebellion, and it led to 40, 40 years of humiliation in the desert, remembering when he tried to take the lead and nobody followed him. 40 years wallowing, hiding. For Gideon, he's in a wine press. I mean, I can relate to this. I mean, this was a text, God. I listened to a week of sermons on Gideon before I was sent to go uh, serve in Uganda. And for me, and personally, as a pastor's kid, doing this thing was the craziest idea I could ever come up with. I hated public speaking. Like, I would, the sweats, the nerves, I would shake, you know, the heart pounding. I mean, some of you know and still get that way, and I completely understand. And it, in, God, in the irony of the gospel, God sent me to Uganda where I didn't go play with kids for a month and ended up being, go preach to these church leaders five times a week. <laughs> and uh, I had to get over that. God prepared me for that by calling me in my weakness to go. See, what happens is as human beings, due to fear and failure, we just feel like unusable pieces of clay in the hand, ignored by God the potter. Until God shows up and says, here's what the final work of art will be. Go, Gideon, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So, this is encouraging. God comes to you and says, "You you will be righteous, now go. You will be a missionary, now go. You will be a discipler, now go. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is at working at you, working in you to will and work for his good pleasure. You're not left alone. <laughs> Third, I think God really does see in Gideon a mighty warrior. He has the raw materials to become a mighty warrior. Right? He didn't come to uh, this really scrawny kid who had no idea how to wield a sword. Um, there's this, you see Gideon going to war. And he's able to wield a sword well. Right? So we could take that point and say God's transforming grace sees raw material in you of what he can use to work with to make you what he promises you will be. Right? So Gideon is called a mighty warrior. Eventually he faces down a Midianite horde with just 300 men. I mean, how much courage is required to do that? I don't even have a category for it. And so the idea is, this is a helpful illustration. Uh, some of you know the Michelangelo's David, the massive 17-foot-tall marble sculpture. It's an extraordinary work of art that once was just one big, ugly block of marble. And somebody started it and, and gave up. They said, I can't do this. This rock is no good. Leonardo da Vinci looked at it, right, the famous artist. He said, I can't work with this. And it wasn't until 26-year-old Michelangelo came along and looked at the rock and he could visualize the final product because it was in there. See, what Michelangelo did, he saw this flawless sculpture lurking underneath. He said, I can work with that. See, when Jesus looks at his church, when Jesus looks at his servants, 
Um, he sees you will be sanctified, not because of anything good in you, <laughs> but because you are you. He has a picture of a better version of you. You're not going to not be you when Jesus is done working on you. <laughs> See, Jesus in his transforming grace sees that you will be able to do things you could never ask or imagine because he is with you. Right? Ephesians 2. By grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift, not of your doing. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. It's that picture of, I know what you're going to do. That's why I'm saving you now. You may not feel qualified now, but I will be with you. Go. That's the pattern. God in his transforming grace loves to call the weak, the afraid, the trembling, to make them bold, courageous, and strong in his presence. Now, this all sounds wonderful. Gideon does the right thing here. He says, all right, God, you, you talk a big game, <laughs> so to speak. How do I know it's you? How do I know you are actually talking to me? And this is point two, the sign of God's pre presence. Because God tells Gideon, I will be with you. I want you to go to war. I want you to strike the Midianites as one man. And Gideon's response is, if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is really you speaking to me. And so I can put it this way. How do you know that I, Pastor Nate, am not just making this stuff up? Right? We need verification that God really is who he says he is and that he really is speaking these things and, and that I'm not up here just doing what Freud called repressed wish fulfillment. I just want this to be true because God loves me just as I am, even better than I am, uh, is a great therapeutic technique. Right? How do I know this angel is not just a figment of my imagination? Those kind of things. God, how do I know you are Yahweh, the God of old? And in verse 17, the word favor is the Hebrew word for grace. How do I know you have graced me with your presence? And that's, that's how we want to process these things all the time. When you hear the gospel, the good news that God loves us more than we can imagine in his son Jesus, despite us being more sinful than we could ever dare admit. How do we know that's true? Give me a sign. And so here's what Gideon does. He says, God, give me a sign. Let me go give you a thank offering. And then he gets the angel who looks like a man to wait. And he goes home and gets a goat, 11 cakes from an ephah of flour. That is 22 liters of flour. It's 75 pounds. This is a lot of cake, <laughs> right? No teenage male could possibly, nor should they possibly, consume that amount of cake. And the idea is extravagance. <laughs> right? it's, it's, it's a feast for royalty, a, a thank offering, a massive gift given to the Lord. And so he brings the goat, this ridiculous amount of cake, and the broth, and he puts it on a rock at, at, at the command and soaks everything with water, with the broth, and the angel consumes it. It's a picture of God consuming the feast. He just touches the staff to the meal and poof, it bursts into flame. The food is eaten, the angel disappears, and Gideon's left with this fear of, I just saw God. I just saw the angel of the Lord. I have been graced. This is how God works. I must go. <laughs> and actually, here's the irony. 
because we would, this, this would be my, my attitude. I wish God would show up and be that obvious and say, you are with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this offering that you put right here in front of your very eyes and make it disappear. God is with me. I've got verifiable proof. But everybody who had verifiable proof that God is with them in the Old Testament and the New were absolutely terrified. Gideon says, is told, God loves you, and he says, I think I'm going to die. Because this is the God who speaks in the mountains tremble. Right, see, one of the signs that you are interacting with the real God, the God of the Bible, is not that you just feel better about yourself. You have this mixture of fear, of reverence, of awe, and attraction. Where you were afraid of your problems, now, now I'm afraid of this God who's bigger than my problems. Because if he's bigger than my problems, what's he going to do with me? I'm part of the problem. I mean, the first encounter that everybody has with God, they're terrified. Moses falls on the ground. Joshua falls on the ground. Gideon. I'm afraid. I've seen the Lord face to face. So I know we as moderns, we, we believe that intimacy with God is an inalienable right rather than an inescapable gift. And Gideon's helping us get our minds wrapped around that. Just because I say God is with me doesn't mean I deserve it. I need that grace. One of the great New Testament pictures of this is uh, Jesus and the disciples. You remember Mark chapter 4? They're out on the boat, they're in the lake, a hurricane, this massive windstorm comes. Jesus is sound asleep, he's worn out, he's human. And the disciples swear that they are going to die. And they come to Jesus and say, don't you care about us? We're going to die. And Jesus just wakes up, looks around, calls and says, oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> and he just says to the storm, peace be still. And the hurricane is hushed with a word. Everything is calm. And then it says, the disciples looked at Jesus and they literally feared a great fear. They, were, they thought they were in danger in the midst of a violent storm and they were going to die. And now when they see Jesus in his glory who has power over the storm, we can't control him. We're going to die. They're afraid. Who is this that controls the wind and the waves? And so God speaks peace to trembling Gideon. Right, we need God to give us grace and peace. He says, peace to you, don't be afraid, you shall not die. And, and Gideon celebrates his survival. <laughs> and he builds an altar and says, the Lord is peace. And he should celebrate, because Gideon wasn't a perfect man. You look at the text, his father had pagan idols in their, in their yard. Gideon grew up with his dad, Joash, whose name means uh, the Lord is fire, or the Lord gives. It's one or the other. And so at the same time, the family is worshiping the one true God, the God who is, and they're worshiping these other gods. Right? They're God's enemies. Right? They're, they're only halfway committed. And yet God still spares Gideon by grace. He gives him grace and peace. So, Where's our sign? And this is how we're going to end. 
Where's our sign that God is grace and peace? Where is our sign that God is with us and that he does work with his transforming grace through unpromising material? Where is the altar where bread and flesh are consumed by fire? Where God is seen in reality, not just in our imagination. Where you hear those words, peace be with you from God himself. Don't be afraid. You shall never die. Well, it begins on Palm Sunday. When Jesus, in humility, rides on a donkey into Jerusalem, into a city of his enemies, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. And in Mark, the, the immediate thing Jesus does after riding on a donkey is he goes into the temple the next day and gets rid of all the idols. He flips over the tables and he makes room for the nations. He acts in anger. (laughs) And he does it by day where everyone can see him. And when he does it, everybody, the, the, the people in power conspire to kill him. In contrast to Gideon, who I think makes a wise act in some ways, right? As soon as, he, as soon as he cuts these things down, everybody in the village wants to kill him. How dare you take these things we love? How dare you tell me I cannot do that? Who do you think you are? Which is exactly what they said to Jesus. And for us, Christians, the public sign that God is real, that God is gracious, that he came to give us peace, that God's enemies would be made at peace. Uh, with the living God. Well, it's this king who came to die on a cross, who was consumed by the fire of God's judgment, who became weak, even to the point of death. See, this Jesus came to strike our enemies, not a physical people, but sin, death, and evil itself, as one man. And what does Jesus say to those who saw him face to face after he rises from the dead? To those who are hiding, to those who are ashamed, to those who are terrified. The disciples are locked in a room. They all bailed on Jesus. They're well aware of their weakness and failure. And it says in in John that on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... All of a sudden, Jesus showed up and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. They could see his wounds, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. <laughs> so we can say, even better than Gideon, our Lord is peace. His name is Jesus. As Paul would say, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So to summarize everything, transforming grace is written right in the midst of human history. This interaction with Gideon is the same kind of interaction that you and I can have with God right here, right now. And we have uh, empirical verification in history. God became a person. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. We watched him eat a meal with us. He ate fish. Gideon got a glimpse of this. Because who is he talking to this whole time? 
It's this mysterious figure in the Old Testament who just appears over and over again, who looks like a man, who speaks for the Lord, and all of a sudden in the text it'll start saying, the Lord is talking, and you don't know who it is. It's a person who looks like a man, but who speaks like he's God. I think this is Jesus showing up before he shows up fully and finally. This mysterious figure of God in the flesh. And so the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, Go, the Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. He can now say that to you because of the cross and resurrection. And it clearly has an impact. Right? Gideon's courage. What does Gideon do, armed with God's presence and comforted by this sign of transforming grace? He actually obeys. He goes after these idols. He tears these things down. Yeah, he does it at night, but they wanted to kill him. So mixed with fear and faith, he still went. And Joash, seeing the courage of his son, goes and defends him. It seems like this act of faith is contagious. Yeah, let Baal defend himself. If he's real God, then he will come after my son himself. See, all of Gideon's mighty deeds and anything great we do as Christians always starts with an encounter with the true God of transforming grace who looks at unpromising material like me and says, I will make you great <laughs> in the sun, not by yourself. You and I, we are imperfect people, but God declares you perfect through faith. Now go. That's the way of the gospel. God, with his transforming grace, chooses the fearful, the weak, the shamed, and declares them courageous, strong, and honored. And he equips them for the journey. So, this is not a be like Gideon sermon, unless it's a be like Gideon who had an encounter with Jesus sermon. <laughs> It's a look and see the one who arms you, who equips you, who promises to never leave you nor forsake you. He says, as the Father sent me, so now I send you. And I don't send you alone. I will be with you. Don't be afraid. And when you have that encounter, you'll still be afraid. In my very first sermon, I was trembling. My 30 minutes were done in about 15. <laughs> but what happens is, is you when you realize God loves you just as you are, but he's not content to leave you as you are, you start to be willing to change. Right? What Gideon did by breaking down these altars was the equivalent of um, going into an alcoholic's home and dumping out all of their expensive liquor behind their back to dump those things that are destroying them. Um, may, for us, I don't know what that would look like for you, to, to, to destroy your di divided loyalties to Jesus. Part of it's probably going to be publicly owning our weakness, um, our pride, our plans for our lives, our self-righteousness, to think we could ever do this on our own. <laughs> so there's this great hymn, and that's how we'll end. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, I am a pilgrim in this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. And so go, for the Lord is with you, O mighty one of valor. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonder of the gospel. 
that you would look at us and see what we are not yet and yet call us. Call us saved, call us loved, call us forgiven, call us graced. And so I pray that would not bounce off our stony hearts, but you give us hearts of flesh to hear it and to respond and to follow this Jesus with courage to give up everything. Anything that divides our attention, we'd be willing to let go so that we would, uh, well, we would know you and make you known across the street and around to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.